Hi, this is the 905er. My name is Roland Tanner. I am Joel McLeod. And welcome to our new Thursday episode, where we'll be looking at other news across the 905 region and also discussing things connected with the interviews we have each week in our Tuesday episodes. So this week we were speaking to Mike Gibbs, who is a former employee of the Ontario government, worked in public health, was involved in the SARS epidemic, I guess, and also in, in other provinces in Alberta. So they're very knowledgeable about how the government works in these areas and, and what government perhaps should be doing and what perhaps it isn't doing. What were your thoughts? What, what things did, came out of the interview for you, Joel? Uh, well, to start off, I thought Mike was very well-informed on the issues as well as kind of what goes on behind the scenes to basically handle a crisis of this magnitude for this long. And I think his analysis was bang on that the communications is probably one of your best lines of defense in this pandemic. Until a vaccine is discovered and widely distributed, we all need to be operating from the same playbook. And that's where the communications departments across the province and across the various regions need to be in sync. I'm usually a fan of delegating decisions to the lowest level possible. I'm all in favor of municipalities having the power to do the right thing you know, local decisions are often the best decisions. But in this case, it seems like there's a fracturing of... We're not getting one consistent statement about what we should be doing. And really, I, as a kind of ordinary citizen, who does my best to understand the medical situation. Mm -hmm. I just want someone to tell me what I should be doing. Because what I'm seeing is friends, relatives, uh, acquaintances all having a slightly different interpretation of what being safe is because we're not getting that from the province. Uh, well, we're getting different things from the province, different things from Toronto, different things from our own local uh, authorities. It seems to me to be a, a recipe for disaster and we're seeing the fruits of that starting to... Fruits is the wrong word to use, but we're starting to see the effects of that now. Right. You're right. I mean, that's there's too much confusion happening. We have so many varied response and i think people are trying to find loopholes to get around which is the i think the wrong spirit to have during the pandemic i do believe people want to do its best they want to keep their loved ones especially if they have people with uh, immunocompromised conditions and if they have elderly relative in the uh, long-term care system you're trying to keep on top of what you can and cannot do and who you can and cannot see and I think people are asking, empower us, give us the information, the, the guidance, give us a, the rule book, and we'll follow it. The problem is we have, as far as I can see, like it seems like five different pandemic response action plans. We have one for restaurants and small businesses. We have one for our social interactions. One, if you are a municipality trying to run community centers and other functions. You have another for our education system. You know, it's just, it's confusing. And not all of them are synced up. There's no clear cut, hey, this is who you socialize with. This is where you can do and where you can go. One of the best examples I can think of is when we switched over to stage two back in the summer, my wife and I were used to doing curbside pickup with a lot of the tasks we were doing. And we were going in, spending the same amount of money we were spending if we went into stores. But we said, no, we'll do curbside pickup. We'll call ahead, wait in the parking lot, throw it in the trunk. No fuss, no muss. We're off to the races. And then stage two happened, and all of a sudden, Canadian Tire stopped doing curbside pickup. And when we wanted to pick up our order that we placed and paid for, we had to go inside the store. Quite frankly, we weren't very comfortable with doing that, still aren't. It's one of these things of there was no clear 
guidance and clear rules on the, on the matter. So Canadian Tire did what they thought best. They said, okay, well, you can come back into the store now. We don't have to worry about a curbside pickup system anymore. And I think right now, curbside pickup is still the best way to go. I, I fully endorse it. Any place that has it, kudos to you. You know, it was this confusion of, oh, okay, I guess we're safe now. We don't have to do this other thing anymore. And now it's, I think it, people are saying, no, we want that to come back. Yeah, yeah. The provincial government did a huge disservice over the summer. And I want to make it clear, obviously, we're both fairly progressive guys, so we're not huge fans of the PC government. However, as far as I'm concerned, party politics is irrelevant to this. I'm being critical because they've royally screwed the pooch. They spent the summer with Doug going on a little victory tour around the province saying, hey, look, I I beat COVID. Now, we know, we've known all along, nothing has changed. There's no vaccine. There's no cure. The disease is just as deadly as it was in March and April. The more we get together, the more people we see, the more it will spread. It's as simple as that. And I think, I mean, ironically for a government that likes to tell it how it is and, you know, uh, speak truth and all this kind of stuff, they don't want to offend anybody. So they're like, yeah, you can run a restaurant, you can reopen. And it's like, no, I'm really sorry, but if you run a restaurant, I cannot see any way in which you can operate normally. Again, during the summer months, make use of what you can, but be prepared because in the winter you won't be able to do it. And there's no way you should be going to a bloody restaurant at the moment. That's the long and the short of it. I mean, we chatted a bit with Mike about this, was that they should have used the summer to send a message of, go out, you've been cooped up inside for the entire spring, you're stir crazy, we get it, go out, walk the walk through the parks, enjoy the, the nice summer airs and the summer weather, go dine on a patio if you want. We can have restaurants, I guess, open indoors as best you can. I think the government should have been sending a message to the small business community is start planning. Start putting money away if you can. Start reorganizing your business model for a COVID-19 world. And they didn't. The attitude was clearly from the government, hey, everything is great. Isn't this fantastic? You know, we can handle this. And yeah, we can handle it during the summer. We can't handle it now. The question was always, you ask anybody, what are restaurants going to do when the second wave hits? And we all knew the second wave was coming. This isn't that we can't act like, oh my gosh, we're surprised. We never saw this coming. Everyone from the WHO, the CDC, Health Canada, Dr. Tam, our own public health officials were all saying a second wave is going to come. It's going to be brutal. We need to prepare. And I'm sorry, I don't see that we did that. The first indication was our education system. We were told back in May or June that uh, Minister Stephen Lecce was going to have a plan to address this, to figure out how do we reopen schools safely uh, in COVID-19. And instead, he kicked the can down the road and said, okay, school boards, you figure it out. But the problem is school boards don't have, as we discussed in in our previous episode with the Halton Catholic and Public School Board Chairs and Vice Chair, they don't have the resources to make it this dramatic a shift. This is huge. You're basically changing a school system that is fundamentally built around inclusion, bringing people together. The buildings are designed to do that. The system is designed to do that. And all of a sudden, we're like, no, now it has to try and keep people apart. It's a fundamental principle that nobody's thought to address. And I don't don't get the sense that they really sat down and considered this. I really don't. The fact of they're saying Kappa class size at 25, every parent looked and said, "Wait, wait, our my 10-person bubble, how does that work? To this date, nobody has been able to explain that. 
the Minister of Health, the Minister of Education has not been able to, to explain that inconsistency of why is it that my kid can go into a, into a classroom of 25 people along with a teacher, the te- like a teacher who, is, who could be very susceptible to COVID-19. They can go in and basically, but I'm supposed to keep a 10-person bubble. But I don't know my I don't know every kid in my child's class. I don't know their families. I've yet to this day had anybody explain to me clearly and concisely how to square these two facts safely. Because I, I don't think that they talk to each other. I really don't. I don't think our the two ministry, the Ministry of Health and the Ministry of Education, the two largest ministries in the this government, ever sat down to just have a brainstorming session on how do we make this work? Because they didn't. And it's a government that is fundamentally, in the normal way of doing things, fundamentally opposed to asking people for help because they believe that they have the answers to everything. And unfortunately, that goes as far as not really consulting or following the advice of doctors as well, it seems. But certainly when it came to education, they're not going to sit down with unions. They're not going to sit down with teachers or the boards and say, hey, given your huge experience of actually teaching children, what's the best way we can approach for this? They weren't going to do that, and they didn't. And uh, we're, and this is leading directly on now into our kind of other news because the other news in the nine oh five right now is 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 the second wave. You know, this the second wave could have been controlled. I don't see any way in which it was unavoidable mm-hmm. that it would be as big as the numbers we are seeing right now. We took our foot off the off the brake, I guess, and now at every point they're a week late. 10 days late, two weeks late on catching it. You mentioned to me earlier, our MPP, Jane McKenna, had sent out a an email to to the people who, who are on her mailing list. Oh, that's great. I'm not criticizing that for a minute. It's a short email, and it's said, oh, I might as well just read it. It says, Peel, Toronto, Ottawa, and now York Region are all facing restrictions due to rising cases of COVID-19. None of us want to see additional restrictions here in Burlington that will impact lives and livelihoods. Watch my video to see what I've heard from some of our local businesses. Well, right off the bat there, she's putting COVID within the context of a business problem. Well, that's a very PC way of looking at things. It'd be nice if there was some recognition of the people who are dying of the disease in very unpleasant ways, uh, rather than just the needs of business. We all have a part to play. Wear a mask, wash your hands regularly, avoid large gatherings. What does that mean, avoid large gatherings? So we're allowed to have large gatherings? No, there shouldn't be any avoidance because they shouldn't be happening. You know, it's sending a mixed message right there. Like, there should be no large gatherings. Certainly don't go to them if everybody's being stupid enough to hold one. Practice social distancing and limit non-essential trips. Great. Own what you're doing. Well, I'd like to own what I'm doing, but it's difficult when I don't know what I'm supposed to be doing because I'm not getting the messages from the government that uh, that I should be, that when there's a complete lack of clarity around what the hell it is we're all supposed to be doing. Do our part to stop the spread. We can't do our part to stop the spread if we're not getting the directions properly. Uh, MPP's message to their mailing list is probably a few thousand people. So our MPP is not giving direction that anybody other than people who happen to be on that list, can follow. And we need communication that goes to every single person through their letterbox, whatever. Yeah. Uh, two things to be pointed out about that email. That email only went out after uh, the Premier stood up at the microphone, I believe, on 
Thursday or Friday and warned Halton that our numbers are getting up there and we you know he doesn't want to have to throw Halton into stage two. That was when this email went out to uh, encourage us to uh, own what we're doing. On your note of very business-centric, I, I can think of small businesses want to comply. They want to be safe. They want customers to feel safe when they go into their their business, uh, whether it's a restaurant or retail or whatever. There's so much confusion out there. Um, I, I was thinking of, this is one of the stories we want to talk about. But and I'll just go right into it. As we're getting into stage two, the temperatures are dropping, and patios are no longer a viable sit-down option for restaurants. We've seen cases around Niagara, as well as around here in Burlington, and a few other spots here and there throughout the 905. Restaurants are erecting tents or domes over seating areas on their patio. The problem with this is, I'm hoping most of you are identifying with this, it negates the entire point of the patio. The patio is an outdoor space where the virus dissipates into the atmosphere as you sit and dine. That's why they were considered safe from the get-go. When you put a tent around it, it turns into an indoor dining area. But again, there's this, this feeling of let's find a loophole to get around the problem. There's no clear, you know, this is a violation of public health codes. There's no messaging that you can't do this. It is considered a loophole because nobody tells restaurants you can or cannot do this. Nobody wants to be the bad guy. I don't think you should be dining in a tent unless you're going camping with people inside your household. <laughs> that's that's pretty much it. But you know, that's this allowing this loophole to these loopholes to kind of fester, um, and then throwing your hands up in the air. Say, I don't know, guys. You know, have a heart. That's not enough. You, you got to step up to the microphone and say these are the rules. You don't follow them. We're done. Yeah, all our hearts absolutely break for the businesses who are most affected by this and really have very few ways of of surviving in a COVID world. Don't get me wrong. Everything we possibly can do to help them carry on is absolutely essential. But you can't fudge around the details of how this disease works. It's a disease of social interaction. You know, you simply have to deal with that. On that note, like restaurants can't survive. I, I know for a fact I used to own one. You, you can't survive on an open and shut basis. You can't all of a sudden say, okay, everyone, go out, dine, enjoy, da 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 da. Oh, numbers are up. Okay, everybody, shut down. The Premier gave York Region a weekend notice to shut down. He gave Toronto and Peel even less notice. The restaurant, the small business cannot operate on this basis. You can't operate on this, okay, you know what, I decided we're shutting it down. This shutting down has to be a measure of last resort. It has to be, my God, it's just gotten out of control. This can't be the mechanism to control the spread of the virus. And that's something that I, I've been saying privately, and, and you and I have been talking about, we need to find a way to live with it. We need to find to readjust our, our lives, our businesses, and whatnot to live with this virus. It's going to mean some change. It might mean some challenging and breaking of old habits, but it's going to have to happen. I don't know what that is, but that's kind of why we elect a government to talk with the experts to figure this out. I don't get the sense that this government is doing that. I think they are just playing catch up to wherever this virus is going. And Mike was right. I think we're going to just start seeing region by region shutdowns for months at a time because this government doesn't have a plan to how do we live with it? How do we allow restaurants and businesses to build up the confidence again that they're safe to go into? They're asking for the help as much as we are. And I don't get that sense that this government's going to step up and do it. 
you're not doing businesses any favors by giving false hope by suggesting that we have this thing under correct when we when we didn't there's a good example for those who are following hamilton news of of spinco which has had a a major outbreak 74 people infected spinco is a gym in hamilton and everybody who has followed this story or is familiar with that gym has said Spinco did everything they were told to do. They played it by the rules. It wasn't that they weren't taking it seriously. They opened when they were told that gyms could reopen. They followed the public health rules and procedures, and they had a massive out—I mean, a large, major outbreak. So the the answer there is not to say, well, no one did anything wrong. The answer is like, well, clearly the guidance was faulty because it wasn't safe to do what they were doing, but they followed rules which which were not sufficient to prevent an outbreak of 74 people happening. And that outbreak spread to another downtown restaurant, and on and on we go. Well, that, that's the thing, is that when you hear these one one outbreaks, whether it's a restaurant or a, or a spin or wherever, you have to assume it, it's not contained just to that building. Because, again, it's something we talked about with Mike in the episode the data that we're getting is usually two or three weeks late. This isn't real-time data. It's not like you get infected today. Oh, I report it tomorrow. You, you report it two or three weeks later. And that's problematic. Is that, you know, these people were infected in Spinco. How are they transmitting the, the disease between the time of infection and the time of reporting? In a similar story on Blog TO, they were reporting how people in Toronto and Peel when they were locked down into stage two, uh, have decided that they'll go use their LA Fitness and Good Life Fitness membership cards to travel into Oakville and York Region and Durham Region, all in 905, uh, to exercise, which it goes against the spirit of a lockdown or, or retreating into stage two. This is like that loophole mentality that if we don't have a clear idea of what the rules and regulations are, this is what it fosters, that people say, well, I can't use my gym membership in Toronto and Peel. Oh, but I can go next door to Oakville, into Halton, or into York Region, or into Durham Region. And then we get into, you know, we get into this cases like a Spinco, where, you know, outbreaks happen. That's what sparked the Jane McKenna email that you just mentioned, Roland, was that this, we know that this is happening. People are leaving their bubbles. And I suspect that Halton will go back into stage two, and I think it probably should. And, you know, it's too late now. Whatever numbers we're seeing now are the result of what we were all doing two weeks ago. Mm-hmm. The cat is out of the back. It's just like, did they forget everything we learned in the first weeks of this thing about how quickly it spreads, about how you don't know what the spread is until days and days later? Well, I mean, it goes, the other story we we're going to talk about today was here in Halton, the village of Chansley Woods retirement center, the long-term care home, has been reporting an outbreak. As of October 14th, there was a third death related to the COVID outbreak at that home. And our hearts just go to the families of those of those three victims and anyone else who's uh, who's been infected by COVID-19, because it must just drive you mad. The fact that we knew that the long-term care homes were breeding grounds for this disease. It was horrific, the conditions that some of these places were in. And then to have, you know, the premier came up and said, oh, we're going to prevent more outbreaks. We're going to we're going to do whatever we can to fix the problems. Well, it's very clear that you haven't. Because it's not just in here in Burlington that we're seeing outbreaks. We're seeing outbreaks in long-term care homes again throughout the 905 and uh, the province as a whole. 
And it's the question of, are we not implementing the lessons that we learned in the springtime? Yeah, there's actually there's a good article in, in the Star today going into the details of, of the numbers comparing October the 15th to April the 7th and basically showing that it's difficult to do comparisons because the statistics weren't being kept the same way on April the 7th. But basically saying at that very early stage, there were 141 staff cases on April the 7th and 199 on October the 15th. 176 resident cases on April the 7th and 159 on October the 15th. So basically pretty much even. And obviously from those numbers on April the 7th, we went on to have the uh, appalling crisis that we had. There's still something like the total number of care workers working on Ontario is about 50% of what it should be because so many people just don't want to be working there. Well, in the star, they reported how that the Ford government has passed the buck to long-term care homes to hire the necessary staff to fill these gaps. And the long-term care homes have been reluctant, mostly because, uh, according to them, they don't have the financial resources to hire. And that might be a whole other discussion about private versus public health care. I think when it shows that, A, human beings are really expensive investments – we cost a lot to look after. We cost a lot to treat. And that price only goes up as we get older. And that is, that's a fact of life that this guy, again, this government doesn't seem to want to step up and deal with the facts. They don't, they, it comes down to money. Ultimately, they don't want to spend the money on long-term care homes. They don't want to spend the money on our education system to hire more yeah. staff. Yeah. They're still trying to sheep this out and do it in the traditional way. You can't do it. This is going to be expensive. And it's like, do we do we value our seniors? Do we want to treat them like human beings? Or do we want to basically treat them worse than we treat our dogs in terms of how they're being uh, looked after in some of these places? It's absolutely shameful. Uh, we should all be ashamed that this has come to pass because multiple governments bear a responsibility for this for multiple parties over years. And the fact that we as a society have not been paying close enough attention to this before now. Now, I mean, so last year, my mother is in long-term care in Britain. The system is similar, you know, a kind of mix of private, um, non-profit and, and publicly owned places. And as part of looking for a place that she needed to move into, we, myself and my sister, sort of toured around 12, 10 or 12 uh, long-term care places. And boy, did they differ and we were very fortunate to get her into a place that is couldn't have been better designed for covid in terms of although it's quite a big place it has separate units of about 10 people that are completely isolated or isolatable from the other units whereas all the other places have you know long halls you know that kind of for want of a better word the one flew over a cuckoo's nest kind of feel to them and you can see the design problems with these places Again, I can't speak to Ontario, but I suspect we would, in many places, be dealing with similar things. And that's going to take time to fix, but just just that inability to get this right, to treat uh, long-term care of seniors with the same seriousness that we, we treat other aspects of our lives, or the seriousness with which we're treating trying to look after business or and people who are unemployed at the moment, is just shocking. Uh, it really is. I find it difficult not to get really angry. <laughs> I expect that there are a number of our listeners who are, you know, sh- shaking their fists at the at the speaker in agreement, maybe because they're they disagree. But it's I think there's a lot of confusion out there 
I know, I know, because I, I mean, you're talking from the long-term care. I kind of come from it from a parent point of view with a child in the education system, and I know that there's a lot of confusion over how do, how do we do our normal lives? How do we have a, a social life? You know, is it safe to visit grandma and grandpa? Is it safe to visit aunts and uncles anymore? And there's just there's no clear choice. And I understand that this is difficult times, but you can't get say, well, if you want to send your kid child to school, well, tough. You're you're in a class of 25 people now. Well, that's not that's not a fair choice, especially if you're if you're a single parent and you have to, if you're God forbid, you have to work two jobs to make ends meet. Everybody's talking about the the fact of oh, you can always just work from home. Not everybody can. I've, I was wondering, like I've been saying this from day one. This is kind of our Apollo 13 moment is that the accidents happened, we're on life support, we're badly bleeding, and we need to come up with a solution. And where are our NASA guys in a room, just locked in a room to figure out how does this work? Okay, what we thought was going to work before, throw it out the window, it's broken, it can't help us. we got to come up with a new plan yesterday. And I don't get the sense that that's happened. I don't get a sense that we have a proactive plan to address this pandemic. I feel a new problem pops up and the government acts shocked and, oh my gosh, we didn't think of this. And let's come up with a, a new plan. Okay, well, let's shut down that region. Shut down, you know, you can't go into restaurants anymore. You can't go into gyms anymore. Okay, but can we still send our kids to school? I, I guess we don't really talk to that department. Okay, just go. And I don't think this can last forever. I don't think this is a safe course of action to go forward. My worry is that we're going to see something worse down the road. I don't know what, but this can't be going on region by region, open, close, open, shut, less reaction. Because all you're going to do is, is get region against region of, well, why is that region able to stay open? Why do we have to stay closed? Can we prohibit somebody from coming into our towns and cities now? That's not a good thing. It's not a good thing for democracy. It's not a good thing for people in general. I'm just going to leave it at that because if I keep talking about this, I'm just going to get angry and people, <laughs> people don't want to hear that. Yeah, no, absolutely. So we've talked a lot about COVID today, but that really is the news in the 905, I think, because we are catching up with Toronto in terms of the cases. Everybody needs to be sympathetic of governments when they enter into something that's never been seen before. So I totally am willing to extend some patience and understanding about this thing that is completely new to us all. But we've been doing this a long time now. We can't get caught out not treating it seriously enough again. When we have seen in multiple countries around the world what happens when you do that, it's disappointing. And on that happy note, <laughs> we'll draw it to a close for this week. Well, that's it for this week of the 905-er. Uh, we'd like to thank our guest this week for Tuesday's episode, Mike Gibbs, once again, for coming on and sharing his expertise. You can find us on social media at the 905-er on Instagram, LinkedIn, Twitter, Facebook, as well as you can email us your thoughts, critiques, and suggestions to info at 905-er.ca. And Roland, I think you have some VIPs you'd like to thank as well. Absolutely. We're a growing team here at the 905er. We've got two volunteers who've been helping us out in particular. I want to give special thanks to as uh, Gail Laws, who's been doing research for us, and Wendy Nicholson, who's been doing the sound editing for the last few episodes. Thanks so much to them. And in the weeks ahead, we're going to be talking about other ways in which everybody can be involved in the 905er, making it a better podcast and making sure that it's looking at the issues that are important to you. 
Thanks, everybody. We'll see you next week. Did, Will, the Story of People podcast is now available on the Cryer Media Network. The first five episodes are here and feature some incredible guests that fit into one or all three of those categories. Ready? Tara Sloan from the San Jose Sharks, Undercurrent Podcast at NBC Sports. Marianne Iveson from Iveson Voice and the Let's Take This Outside podcast to talk about the world of outdoors as well as voiceover land. Ariana Hunsicker, future Canadian Paralympic swimmer, already winning tons of awards for this country. Scott McGregor from the Hot Wallet podcast to dumb down the world of crypto, Bitcoin, and NFTs so you don't have to. And Jackie Holawati from Climate Pledge Arena in Seattle, Washington, the first net zero carbon certified arena on the planet. Wherever you get your pods, wherever you watch your pods, and on the Crier Media Network.